This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, November 20th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor, Sarah, Parker are back in Connecticut. Adrian has joined us from California. Uh, I'm Buster Olney. I'm working from my home in Montana. Uh, I've got to head out later this morning, which is why I will not be there, Taylor, when you guys tape with Sarah Langs. Uh, but I got a question for each of you as we move forward we get closer to Thanksgiving. What is the must-have food for you on Thanksgiving? Adrian, we'll start with you. It is going to be my aunt's birthday on Thanksgiving, and she is Mexican, so we always have enchiladas. Nice. What What is it about the enchiladas that you like so much? Um, it's just one of our favorite foods, and we love making it together, so it's kind of become a family tradition. Nice. Parker? For me, it's mac and cheese, uh, specifically my sister's mac and cheese. She makes some she makes it great, has like five cheeses in it. It's incredible, terrible for my heart, but it's fine. <laughs> I've got mashed potatoes. Uh, Liz and I are probably going to debate over the uh, the actual recipe that we use, but for me, it's mashed potatoes. Taylor, what you got? Mm, my grandma's mashed potatoes, but also I like to eat the the turkey leg. So, uh, you know, some good dark meat is what I'm into on Thanksgiving. Wait a second. So you're like... You know, everyone, it's Thanksgiving. Everyone's very deferential and you're shoving people out of the way to get the turkey leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll call it, you know, the second I walk in the door, I'll, I'll march over to the oven or wherever the, the turkey's being cooked and lay claim for absolutely. You're you're pulling out the carving utensils and saying mm-hmm. like just you're grabbing them and saying, step back. Yeah, this well, turkey leg is mine. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I've cooked a couple of Thanksgiving turkeys before. So when you actually cook the turkey, then no one can argue with you about it because you've done all the hard work. So I'm not cooking the turkey this year, but I, I will actually, you know, I'm going to text my uncle after the podcast and let him know in advance that that let one leg is mine. All right, Sarah Abbott, uh, you joined us actually on Zoom just as we we're talking about this. What is your must have food at Thanksgiving? I mean, I'm a mashed potato girl through and through. It has to be mashed potatoes. I'm not. A what's going to be person. in it for you? That it's the crucial thing is what's in the mashed potatoes. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't know. We're getting that fancy with it. Just a regular, regular old mashed potato with some gravy. Keep it classy. Keep it simple. Sarah, yeah, I like to make mine with a whole thing of sour cream and butter. Yeah, and oh, mix that in. Okay, and then maybe some chives or some onions, depending on sort of the you know the group and and uh, you know what they like to have. So it's it's absolutely loaded mashed potatoes. Although I don't like putting cheese in in mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Does that make sense? I'm anti cheese and mashed potatoes. I'm good with like some chives, sour cream, butter. Yeah, keep it classy. Keep it simple. All right. Well, we are taping this on Monday, three days before Thanksgiving. And since our last pod, uh, we got really sad news about Peter Seidler, the owner of the Padres. He passed away. He was a friend of the show. I got to know him through the years. We're going to have more conversations about him next week. I've got a couple of people in mind to join us from the Padres organization. Uh, So our condolences from the podcast out to the Padres and to Peter's family. Um, Some news and notes. The uh, athletics franchise got unanimous approval from other owners to move from Oakland uh, to Las Vegas. The question is, when is that going to happen? It's very possible. It looks like the A's are going to play again in the Coliseum next year. Oh, my God, that is going to be ugly with uh, essentially a lame duck franchise playing in that old ballpark. The Braves last week acquired reliever Aaron Bummer 
uh, in essentially what was a roster clearance for them. They shipped out five players to the Chicago White Sox who were trying to round out their rotation. I can tell you folks around baseball really like Aaron Bummer's stuff. He had a bad year last year, but there's a thought that the Braves can rehabilitate him. Uh, his performance for 2024. Atlanta was awarded the 2025 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Of course, they had the 21 All-Star Game scheduled to be in Atlanta. Major League Baseball shifted that to the Colorado Rockies uh, in that year. Ron Washington was officially named as manager of the Angels last week, and of course, he was all fired up. Here's Wash. I'm so overthrilled that I have this opportunity to, to lead. I'm a natural bone leader. I've been leading ever since I can remember. I've always been a part of winning. I don't know anything else but winning. We're going to be about it. We're not going to talk about it. Our whole focus is going to be to run the West down. And you can take that to the bank and deposit it. So. I love that, Taylor. I love that. I love Wash stepping out on a limb. He's, he's taking over a team that we all perceive to be bad. They traded all their prospects. They made lose Otani. Well, Wash is going to give it a run. What do you think? I'll literally run through a wall for Ron Washington. He can uh, he can order me off a cliff. I'm I'm there with him on the front lines. So I'm going to be working to get him on the podcast here in the next couple of weeks. That would be an absolute blast to yeah. hear from him. Zach Britton announced his retirement. That came via The Athletic uh, on Monday morning. And over the weekend, the Philadelphia Phillies agreed to a seven-year, $172 million deal with Aaron Nola which I think will make our first guest today really happy. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, shout out to Zach Britton, a great Oriole. Should have won the 2016 Cy Young Award. Should have gotten a shot in the one-game playoff against the Blue Jays. I mean, everyone, that's gonna that's like got to be top line. I haven't read any of these stories on his retirement, but that's got to be up there. You know. Well, and I'd say this. Uh, you mentioned the 2016 season. I think you can make an argument that's the greatest season any relief pitcher has ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I when see. you talk about his level of dominance, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, you know, other guys, Hader obviously has had some dominant years. But think about 2016 for uh, Zach Britton. That season, he allowed one home run in 67 innings, just 38 hits allowed, four earned runs. In 74 strikeouts, you're either doing one or two things as a hitter against Zach Britton. Either you're striking out or you're beating the ball into the ground. Mm, well, wouldn't you rather have you bottle him at his on the mound in a playoff game than Zach Britton that year? Oh, no. Oh, no. Driving down bitter. shot at Buck. I know. I love Buck. Driving down bitter Boulevard. Uh, For podcast promotion today, College Game Day podcast, they had a huge show at James Madison, 26,000 people, the Jonas Brothers, absolute scenes. Uh, We're going to talk about it with those guys, uh, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel on the podcast. Oh, I thought you were about the Jonas Brothers. I was like, you getting the Jonas Brothers on the pod? I wish. But Reese Davis is going to tell Sarah Abbott how they smell. So, you know, that's about as close as we're going to get. Can't wait. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. 
when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Ambikidis, who is the right-hand man for Mike Greenberg on the show Get Up and on his radio show, which is where I heard him say something completely inane that we're going to get into starting off. Hembo, how are you doing? Buster, I'm doing great. I apologize for your very tough Vikings loss last night. Not, not to deflect any of the vitriol coming my way, but... I just wanted to point out that the Vikings lost in an excruciating fashion. So as you are prepared to to lambast me for my Yankees takes, I just wanted to make sure that I had something to come back at you on, and that's the best I got to start the show. And that's not very good because I actually felt good about that game as a Vikings fan. Like, I think the Broncos are getting better. The Broncos are getting better uh, with Joshua Dobbs. I think they're under control. I think they got a quarterback, and guess what? The best player on the team is going to be back soon. Justin Jefferson coming back. I'm actually feeling like the team is gaining momentum. So you can't come at me with Viking stuff today. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, you, you are prepared to rebuttal. Fire <laughs> and backbuster. I like it, man. I like it. All right. So what you said last week, week and of course I noticed this, uh, was that your suggestion is about the Yankees and Garrett Cole and where they are now. Walk me through yes. that. Yeah. So um, first, before the opinion, I'll, I'll lay out all the – all the particulars, because I know, I recognize that trading Garrett Cole, which is what I believe the Yankees should do, or at least explore, is highly unlikely and something for which the fan base would riot. It's also very complicated, given the contract. Not only does he have an opt-out after this year, but the Yankees can add a 10th year to the contract to avoid it. He also has a no-trade clause. So finessing a trade with those details would be very, very challenging. But... Throwing the contract aside for just a second, because, look, that would definitely be an obstacle, but if, theoretically, both sides wanted to do this, theoretically, um, it would be something that they could get done. I'm actually operating under the uh, presupposition right now, Buster, that the Yankees are in a much less desirable position than they've been in quite some time. I don't think that their 82-80 and season last year was an outlier, because the last two months of the previous season, the Yankees weren't any good either. What I see is a a very top-heavy roster, sort of without young, cheap, athletic players. They've not done as good a job lately in developing young players, certainly not nearly as well as they did 20, 25 years ago, which preceded their most recent dynasty. 
And I think what, Gar- what trading Garrett Cole would enable you to do, basically, is bring in a whole bunch of players that you've not been able to produce yourself. Now, there are a million reasons why you would not want to. I'm merely thinking about this, Buster, from an asset management standpoint. It's my opinion that Garrett Cole's value will never be higher than the moment it is right now, given his age and given the season that he just came off of. And even though someday he might go to the Hall of Fame you know, with a Yankees hat on his plaque, Again, thinking about this like from a quantitative asset management standpoint, I think trading that guy right now could go a long way in putting an influx of talent into the Yankee system. All right. Here are my objections. One, mm-hmm. because of the opt-out clause and because his agent is Scott Boris, and I'm not criticizing Scott, but you know mm-hmm. and I know, I mean, Scott has a reputation being hyper-aggressive. His, uh, his clients are known for being aggressive in the market. I mean, shoot, last week when when uh, Garrett got won the Cy Young Award, he was sitting in front of Scott Boris' logo, okay? Uh, and so if you're a team acquiring Garrett Cole, you're assuming you're trading for just one year of that player, uh, you know, that you would have to figure that he's going to opt out of the contract. And what are you really going to give up for, for Garrett Cole for one year? Um, to me, look at the Mookie Betts trade. You know, look, I don't, I don't see a team stepping up and giving you a whole bunch. And the Yankees are in their window to win when you have Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge in the primes of their career. To follow your logic, I think if you were willing to trade Garrett Cole in this moment, you should be willing to trade Aaron Judge. Like, he shouldn't be halfway in. Does that make sense? Yes. Here's where I'll push back. I think the Yankees' sort of present window Close the moment that the Astros swept them in the ALCS last year. I understand the logic. Like, we had these two Hall of Fame talents on these big contracts on our team right now. But we've seen other teams have superstars before not not be able to capitalize on those things. We've seen the Angels do it very recently. I want to make clear. The Yankees are a lot better. A lot better than the Angels are right now. But, Buster, what I saw last year with the Orioles and the Rays, even Toronto – Past the Yankees. I mean, these are younger, cheaper, more athletic teams within their own division. And if I'm just reading the trajectory of these teams, and I'm looking at some of the contracts that the Yankees have on payroll right now, what I see is a team that's going to win 84 games again next year and be in a very similar position next offseason. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the Yankees sort of a year from now rather than right now. I think the fan base views a lot of these young players that they have as very promising. But a lot of young players that the Yankees have had historically have not panned out because, let's be honest, Yankees' top prospects historically have sometimes been, or at least in my opinion, been overrated because they're Yankees' prospects, right? Last year, we had Aaron uh, Aaron Judge, Garrett Cole, and Anthony Volpe effectively be really the only three high-level producers for the entire team in the whole organization. They don't have much present-day pitching. They also don't have much on the come. You look at some of these young position players. Look, Dominguez just got hurt. He's going to miss all of next season. And so many of these other guys are unproven. Buster, I'm just using this as sort of a high level. Like, let's think about where we are right now. Garrett Cole is an absolutely outstanding Hall of Fame pitcher who I actually think could return you an awful lot if, Mm. if a team that was acquiring him had a deal in place to be able to restructure or extend him the moment that happened. Like, there's obviously complicating factors with the contract, which is why I provided that disclaimer up front. I think the Yankees next year are going to win 80-something games again, though, because the roster is so top-heavy, and a good way to remedy that is by extending the number of good players that you have and and by influxing young talent to the system. You don't win 95 regular season baseball games 
by having two great players, Buster. You win 95 regular season games by having a dozen good ones. And the Yankees have like five good ones. That's where I think they are. All right, I'm going to shake up my order of uh, what I wanted to talk about because of what you just said. I would say this. Uh, I mean, mm. before I get into what I'm going to talk about, uh, I think Garrett Cole really likes it in New York. I think he's very comfortable. You know, he's tight with Aaron Boone. You know, there's video of uh, him playing catch with his wife, and you can hear the person narrating in the background is Aaron Boone. So, like, he, he I think uh, Garrett is going to have a lot to say about that. Would mm-hmm. you feel differently about the Yankees if they uh, were to win the bidding for Yoshinobu Yamamoto at 25 years old, a uh, high-end starter? Uh, I I thought about this this weekend. Um, you know, given the needs of the particular organizations in baseball for starting pitching, this is going to be the first time I think we've ever seen the Yankees and the Mets gloves off go hard after the same free agent. And then you're going to have the Dodgers involved. You might have the Giants involved. This is cool because as you and I know, like there have been times when the Mets have been the dominant force uh, in New York and they've been the most aggressive team with free agents. There have been a lot of times when the Yankees are that team. But this is the first time under Steve Cohen's ownership that you're going to see these two teams, I think, go hard after the same guy. Yamamoto is in a command position. I love it. Um, I think it's going to uh, provide such a jolt to baseball in New York City because just forever, for the longest time, the Mets have had to be the little brothers. But they don't have to be that way anymore because they have a hedge fund guy who's willing to play fantasy baseball with his own team. Now, look, last year it did not work. But if you have that kind of aggression in your ownership, and and it's not as if none of their moves last year worked out because I think the Kodai Senga acquisition wound up being brilliant and might wind up netting him another player just like him, right? I don't know much about their relationship, but the fact that he came over uh, in year one and pitched great and it was able to to, um, fit in just fine in New York, I think actually provides the Mets a a nice leg up there. And it also, I think, uh, would demonstrate to fans around the country and to fans in New York, that Steve Cohen's in it for the long haul and, me- and means business. Like, he's not interested in merely building a really good baseball team. As I've said before, Buster, Steve Cohen wants to build a baseball empire. I mean, the Mets are buying all this land in Flushing and are going to basically make, you know, the, the area around the stadium like a theme park, right? Like, he has, like, delusions of grandeur. And Yamamoto is an absolute I mean, you're getting a guy with a stuff at the age of 25 and to be able to outbid the Yankees, to be able to have throw that Yamamoto jersey on and do that news conference would give him so much uh, happiness. And I think do. And I think when you're dealing with an owner like that, rather than a a Steinbrenner type who has actually been pretty shrewd lately, uh, I think the Mets have to be considered the, the leader in the clubhouse to land the guy. And if I had to bet an amount of money that mattered to me today, Buster, my guess would be Yamamoto to the Mets. Okay. Uh, and I'd say this, you know, I've seen projections of 200 million form. I'm, I'm shaking my head going, no, no, no. It's going to be a lot higher than that. It's going to be closer to Garrett Cole's record, which I believe 324 million uh, than it is to 200 million. Because he, he has the perfect set of teams. The Dodgers desperate for starting pitching. The Mets and the Yankees, you know, you could throw the Red Sox in there, although I, I, I don't see them beating out the Mets or the Yankees or the Dodgers form. But Yamamoto. I, I, what a great position. Speaking of, of owners who want to build an empire, your owner, John Middleton, now has demonstrated, I think, fully with his deal with Aaron Nola that he is the new Mike Illich, uh, who is the former owner of the Tigers, who basically decided, I don't care about making profits. I don't care if I make that much money. I want a successful baseball team. I want to have championships. So they go out and they spend a lot of money on Aaron Nola to keep him within the window in which. Bryce Harper 
and Trey Turner, JT Real Muto are still within their primes. I bet you there would be baseball accountants who would look at this deal, Hembo, and their heads would explode. And Middleton's feeling is, you know what? I just want to win a World Series. Yeah, uh, I am one of those accountants. Uh, And (laughs) I'm also a Phillies fan, as you well know. So look, Aaron Nola is one of the 10 greatest pitchers in the history of the franchise. Um, But Aaron Nola is now in the back half of his career, at least on the other side of, of 30, and has a 102 ERA plus over the last three years. He's extremely durable. But from a run prevention standpoint, he's been about a league average pitcher. Um, Zach Wheeler is is our best pitcher, and he can walk after next year. And who knows? Maybe the Phillies will just continue to blow through any kind of spending limit that we have ever established for themselves in our minds. Um, but I have to imagine at some point they'll have to sort of close the wallet up. And I don't think that Aaron Nola is going to wind up being worth this over the next seven years. But I will say, to John Middleton's credit, I think it's good for baseball if we have owners that are running baseball teams more than running businesses. You know, and I think um, in a world in which we have these billionaires owning these teams, like that's really refreshing because uh, when you have an owner that thinks and acts like a fan, except they have enormous power, look, it's not my money. And I think without Aaron Nola, the Phillies are naturally two or three wins worse than they would otherwise be. Now, do I think the Phillies could have better spent that $175 million over the next seven years? Yeah, of course I do. You know my sort of team-building philosophy, Buster. We've talked about these things many times. I'd rather spread that money around over two or three different players, maybe potentially two or three different younger players, or maybe you stash some money uh, for the next offseason or two to be able to elongate your window. That, I think, is the most instructive piece here because once the Phillies collapsed in 2011, it basically took them a decade to build it back up. That's what I fear. I fear that over the course of time, this bubble is going to burst. In the here and now, it's awfully fun because I think the Phillies are going to be in position to make the playoffs every year for the foreseeable future. But I think that foreseeable future creeps up closer and closer and closer to the present as you're giving big contracts to guys that are in their 30s like Aaron Nola is now. And one of those billionaires, Peter Seidler, passed away last week, the former Padres owner, and I'm going to have someone from within the Padres organization on with the podcast next week to talk more about him. Two more quick ones, 30 seconds on these two, uh, the impact, the ripple effects of this deal with Nola. I could see Blake Snell, you know, two-time Cy Young Award winner coming off this dominant year for the Padres. He and Scott Boris now looking at the NOLA contract said, you know what, it's going to take $200 million plus, and he might be waiting a while for that. What do you think? I think he's going to be waiting a, a good while, Buster, if he thinks he's, he can get $200 million because the analysts across baseball see the same numbers that I see, and they see a pitcher that is very unlikely to replicate that performance last year when it comes when it came to you know stranding base runners, Blake Snell, uh, Blake Snell's a great pitcher. He's won two Cy Youngs. He's thrived in in each league, but that's not the kind of thing that's replicable year over year. He'll get 150 plus, I think. Uh, there are a handful of teams, a lot of the usual suspects that I think will be in on him. But it would not surprise me at all if the first week of spring training, I turn on MLB Network and they're asking who's the favorite to sign Blake Snell. I think that's the world in which we're living. The Braves were the other team talking with Aaron Nola, which was a no-lose situation for them. They need a starting pitcher, and it would have been great for them to sign him. But at the very least, they drove up the price for their division rival, the Philadelphia Phillies. And my guess now is that it leads them to Sonny Gray, who is Mm. a a Tennessee guy. I've talked to friends of his who say that Sonny would kill to, to pitch for the Braves. And that makes sense to me. It would be less money for an accomplished pitcher who's a ground ball guy with that infield. Does that make sense? It makes sense. If you're going to ask me to take a wild guess, though, I'm going to say Sonny Gray goes to the Cubs. The Cubs, I think, are a sleeping giant this offseason. And if they swing and miss 
on some of the big free agents. I think Sonny Gray profiles really, really well there because their infield defense is so great because Sonny Gray is such a uh, heavy ground ball guy. That makes a lot of sense. I would watch out for the Cubs with some of these pitchers. I, I would not be surprised at all if they come away with a with one of the bigger guys on the market, perhaps unexpectedly. And the Braves have not really shown interest in, in signing veteran pitchers to long uh, to longer deals. If Sonny Gray is willing to accept, a I don't know, a three- or four-year contract, I think Atlanta makes sense. I bet you he gets more than three or four years, and the Cubs are a team that I would have circled in his sweepstakes. All right, side bet on the, that one, okay? I think he's going to get three or four years, and my guess is he's going to wind up the Braves. We'll see. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this, and stop banging on my Vikings. <laughs> Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. That's Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball and play-by-play man for basketball right now, Carl. Where are you? We are in the great city of New York, New York City, Manhattan, Madison Square Garden, the Empire Classic. Tremendous, uh, tremendous game yesterday, Buster. I don't know if you saw it, but you can check uh, YouTube or, you know, X, wherever you want to see the last shot made by uh, Max Aismas of Texas, a buzzer beater that knocked out Louisville. So Texas moved on to the championship game. They'll take on UConn tonight at 7 Eastern time. You can see it on ESPNU. UConn, of course, the champion from last year. Look, every bit as good as the champion team from last year. They, they may be the first to repeat since the Florida Gators did it under Billy Donovan. That's awesome. And you, you're getting into basketball cycle now. I always get my SEC reports from you once you start getting yeah. into that role, huh? And the SEC is deep again. Um, you know, I know your Vanderbilt Commodores uh, hope to take another step forward. But, boy, that, that division... Uh, that conference is loaded. It's only going to get more loaded when Texas and Oklahoma come aboard. But the Tennessees, the Alabamas, the Arkansas, and, you know, Kentucky has been down for the last few years. It feels like they're in a much better position this year. They're playing with a little more energy. They had a great game against Kansas in which they lost, but they were in it. You know, and he's playing a bunch of young kids again, but they look really, really good. So, yeah, the SEC basketball season will be tremendous. So I love seeing your announcement last week about uh, our first uh, Sunday night game that we're going to have. Uh, you know, we're going to have the Cubs. We're going to have the Rangers. We're going to have Craig Council managing for the Cubs. I think the Rangers will make moves again this winter, add another hitter, maybe re-sign Jordan Montgomery. Maybe they'll be the team that lands Josh Hader. That's the speculation. Um, so really excited about that. Excited that, uh, you know, it, it feels like when you go and sign Craig Council to the biggest contract ever for a manager, Cubs are all in. Like, I, you know, the Cubs, it feels like, are going to also make big moves this winter. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think historically, and certainly recent history, if you're going to take a manager out, like David Ross, who was doing well, and replace him, as you said, for the biggest price ever paid for a manager, you don't stop there. <laughs> you know, Bruce Bochy went to Texas. It wasn't because they just wanted Bruce Bochy. They told him and convinced him, we're going to win a championship. That's our goal. In Chicago, that has to be the same message, along with the $40 million to council. And, you know, they're linked now to Otani and every other big free agent. I, I appreciate what Jed and Tom Ricketts were implying. Like, just because we did this doesn't mean B. I think B absolutely comes almost before A. I think they have to do all those things. And the Cubs might be in the bidding for Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto. 
Uh, and I'm hoping that he prefers to be called Yoshi. I'm looking forward to asking that question because I don't know if I can do the whole name over and over and over again <laughs> next year. Uh, Carl, I was thinking about this yesterday when Aaron Nola comes off the board. Yep. This might be the first time in your lifetime, in my lifetime, that the Yankees and Mets legitimately are bidding, competing, seriously competing for the same elite free agent. Because this is someone who makes complete sense for both the Yankees and the Mets. Uh, and I think the Dodgers will be involved given their starting pitching issues. We know the Giants have cash to burn. Uh, you know, there could be other teams involved. I know after signing Nola, the Phillies were talking about making a big run. I, I have doubts about that based on the fact they're way over the luxury tax threshold already. Uh, you know, maybe the Mariners get involved, but Yankees and Mets. If I'm Joel Wolf, and I'm representing Yamamoto, that rare elite 25-year-old free agent, I'm going to kill it. Yeah, I, I think for sure having those two teams involved in any particular free agent race is wonderful for the agent. I, I think Yamamoto's in a similar position as Otani is. You know, teams are desperate for, as you just said, a 25-year-old pitcher who has got dominant stuff. There is some history with pitchers that young coming over from Japan and dominating. Um, but, uh, you know, if you think about these other teams, uh, I wouldn't discount a Dodgers or put them in that no. same conversation. So you're going to tell me you have the Dodgers, Mets, and Yankees competing for a player? You know, and even the Cubs. Go back to the Cubs for a second. The, the trickle-down effect of signing Craig Council means you're weakening the Brewers. The Cardinals are clearly down. Like, if you're the Cubs, isn't this the time? So getting counsel's great. You know, but there have been a bunch of bunch of historical studies done on how many wins a manager is worth. It's not like you're bringing in a 25-year-old pitcher or a right-handed bat or bringing back Bellinger. So you've done one thing. You've weakened the other team in that division that's been giving you problems, and the Cardinals are down. So the Cubs, I would hope, would be in on on all of these guys. A hundred percent. And I, uh, I, you know, it, it, it's going to be a blast watching this play out again. He is expected to post on Monday, which means that the bidding period will start on Tuesday and Joe Wolf will be busy. He uh, is also the agent for Giancarlo Stanton. He put out a statement last week after Cashman said out loud what everyone has said <laughs> over and over during the course of Stanton's career, he gets hurt often. That's basically what Brian Cashman said. Uh, and Joe Wolf, uh, and I'm not sure what uh, compelled him to do this. He put out a statement said he's going to wind up. Uh, excuse me. He said that it's a good reminder for all free agents considering signing in New York, both foreign and domestic, to play for the te that team. You've got to be made of Teflon, both mentally and physically, and. Carl, it reminded me of, you know, through the years, you and I have seen this where uh, executives with teams will complain about Scott Boris and they'll uh, they'll whine about Scott Boris and Scott does this and Scott does that and they'll have a contentious negotiation and then in the end, they all move past that. It all comes down to money. <laughs> Joel Wolf uh, probably knows in his heart that, yeah, if the Yankees have the biggest offer on the table for Yamamoto, that's where he's going. I, well, I guess if I were Yamamoto and my agent was saying that, that, that would almost put me on alert, meaning yes. this really isn't about the Yankees. It's, well, my client, isn't my client going to ask me, well, I, what if I get hurt? Like, are they going to, 
are they going to get rid of me? Am I going to be relegated to the back pages as somebody who's soft? Like what, what does that mean to me? Because you came out and said that about an organization. And by the way, Stanton misses a ton of games every year. Like that, that is his DNA right now. There's no indication, you know, at least that I have found, barring some genetic transplant, that he's going to get younger as he gets older. He's going to be Do you find offense, Carl? Real quick, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what everyone was reacting to what Brian said because he said, yeah, he gets hurt, which is what general managers say from time to time about pitchers. Yeah, you know, we hope that uh, he doesn't get hurt. John Carlos Stanton every year misses games. He does. And look, I, I don't recall an outcry of, oh, woe is us, Aaron Judge is hurt, and we're not going to play him, and he's soft, or he gets hurt now every year. Uh, like that, that, that applies to a guy who has a history of missing games. And, you know, Stanton, since his days in Miami, misses games. It's part of the deal. And when he's right, he's an absolute force in the lineup. He could have had, you know, if it would have made people happier, he, he could have added that, and maybe that would have appeased those that, jump down his throat, but look, the guy gets hurt. When when he plays 150 games, then you can make the argument that that was a false statement. But right now, it's rooted in truth. Give me a team that you feel like is under enormous pressure right now as we start out this market with Aaron Nola now off the board. Yeah, I, you know, the Aaron Nola signing to me is always interesting. We've had conversations on the podcast for years um, about length of contract for pitchers, uh, I, I think Aaron Nola is an absolute gamer, a Philadelphia guy now. Uh, he proved that he can pitch in a big spot. I, I just found the length of the deal, even though he took less money. Uh, and to his credit and his agent's credit, you want to stay there? You, you're, you're all in on what the Phillies are doing? Uh, wonderful. With regards to a team that's under pressure, uh, I think the Dodgers, I think the Red Sox, you know, they, they brought in Craig Breslow. Um, it's an, you know, that was the whole move was interesting because Dombrowski went out and built the world series championship team and they moved on from him. They asked Bloom to fix the farm system. He did it. They move on from him. What is the assignment for Breslow? You know, and it's simple to say, well, to make the team better and make them competitive every year, but that's not how the sport works. You know, you, you've got to be competitive to win a championship yesterday. I, you know, we're talking about this tournament here, the empire classic. And, of course, the last, last 12 months, we lost two coaching legends in Denny Crum and Bobby Knight. And both Louisville and Indiana are here. Mike Woodson coaches Indiana. He was very close with Bobby Knight. So we asked, we asked Coach Woodson yesterday, you know, what, what, would, what would signal a successful season for you? You know, what is it going to be for you to look back on it? He sort of cut us off. He said two things, Big Ten championships, national championships. That's the end of the conversation. It wasn't consistently competitive in the Big Ten. And I don't think organizations like the Dodgers you know, and, and the Red Sox, with their recent success in World Series, are hoping for consistent 90-plus win seasons. And if we win it all, great. But the, the goal should always be win the division, win the World Series. That, that's, that's it. And I think those two teams, LA has won the division. They haven't won the whole thing since 20, and that whole year was a mess. Uh, those are the two organizations to me, Buster. Yeah, and I think you and I agree that there will be, you know, s s significant moves from the Dodgers. Maybe it's Otani. In fact, it's, you know, a lot of people are speculating that they would be the front runners uh, to sign him. 
you know, maybe they'll be the team that lands Snell. Maybe next winter they'll be the team that lands Max Fried. I actually think the Red Sox might be under more pressure, Carl, in part because I think they've got a major perception problem. You know, I've been talking with agents um, about, you know, the, the pitching market and who's going to land where. And you and I know that right now that's the whole focus of the Red Sox organization is pitching. Yeah. They bring yeah. in Craig Breslow, who's a Breslow, who's a pitching guy. And he hires Andrew Bailey, you know, good friend who is, uh, you know, their new pitching coach. Um, when they're talking about upgrading their team for 2024, it's pitching, pitching, pitching. And what I'm hearing from free agents, uh, excuse me, from agents who represent some of the guys in the market, they're like, guys don't want to pitch there. Like, they're way down the list. And, and Carl, you know there's an ebb and flow to all that. I mean, who would have guessed five years ago that the Texas Rangers – <laughs> would be a destination that pitchers would want to go, but that's where it's gone. Grom, you know, Scherzer gets traded there. He seems really happy. Jordan Montgomery, we'll see if he resigns. But I think the Red Sox are going to have to overpay for one of these guys to begin to turn this around. Does that make sense? It does. I will say this, though, and I think you kind of make the point. If, if Craig Breslow goes there and Chris Young went to Texas, you know, both of those guys rooted in pitching. Young hires Mike's, Mike Maddox. Those those are pitching guys. So if, if the Rangers are going to be the blueprint, then that's a really good sign for the Red Sox because it's going to take a take a little while for free agents to be convinced this is an organization that's good for pitchers to go play for. Um, clearly, Chris Young knows pitching. It's quite clear that Mike Maddox gets the best out of pitchers. I, I think if you build a foundation to prove to the free agent pitchers that this is a good place to come, you will get better. I mean, we've certainly, we've certainly saw that in Houston for years. We've seen it in Tampa Bay. There are certain organizations where pitchers go and they get better. If Texas is on that uh, path and they use money as well to entice them to come here and then the pitchers do get better. Look, Jordan Montgomery may end up going back to Texas. Like who, like you said, who would have thought that years ago? It's not necessarily once described as a pitcher's organization. So I think the blueprint of having Young run that team and now Breslow run the Red Sox, you know, that may lead them down that same path, which is a good thing. Artie Moreno chooses Ron Washington to take over as the next manager. Can it make a difference, Carl? Do you think it makes a difference given all the challenges they have in their organization for talent uh, and on their major league roster, you know, potentially losing Shohei Otani? Great question. Uh, the defense on the infield is going to improve dramatically. Would it shock you to see the manager of the Angels out there before the no. game doing some defensive drills? So, look, there, there's all sorts of wonderful strengths that Ron Washington brings to the table. You know, experience, his ability to relate to all the players, his knowledge of defense, uh, his success with the Rangers. You know, they were so close a couple of years. But you're, you're only as good and Listen, we've talked about this, too. It always strikes me how you can win manager of the year two years after being fired. Like, does that mean you changed that dramatically? No, the players that you were managing changed. So it's not, I don't look at Ron Washington, the win-loss record of the Angels as a way to judge his ability to manage. You've got to have great players on that team. And assuming Otani leaves, well, you've, you've weakened the team dramatically. And that's more pressure on Washington. And I think the the one thing that will really help the players get through this, and you see this with the Braves all the time, the players are going to have fun. Like, I think Mike Trout is going to love playing for Wash. 
Not to say that he didn't like playing for Phil Nevin, but I think that Wash is one of those guys who brings unique energy and, you know, any what might be a challenging year. Hey, uh, I mean, that, uh, that'll be a good thing. What'd you make of last week's uh, unanimous vote to approve the move of the athletics from Oakland to Las Vegas? Well, it's one of those, it's bittersweet. Um, and look, I think Oakland has become the poor stepchild of sports. I mean, it's really been disheartening. I, I'm just trying to imagine myself as a kid growing up in Oakland and seeing my professional sports teams go to San Francisco to play basketball, go to Las Vegas to play football, and now go to Las Vegas to play baseball. I, I, like, I would be crushed. It's heartbreaking. It's, it sucks. It stinks. It's terrible. Um, on the other side, there's a part of me that recognizes the frustration. And I, look, I don't, I don't know all the weedy details of how much an ownership group was willing to put in, et cetera, et cetera. It, it became, having covered this along with you and been around the Tampa situation in Oakland for so long, very frustrating. Like, and maybe, again, I'm not suggesting one side or the other was right or wrong. Maybe they were asking way too much of the city. Again, please don't, don't look at this as taking sides, but at some point when nothing gets done, well, I, I am of the mind. We, we've got to come up with a different alternative. We've got to move on. I just think it stinks and it's frustrating and awful for sports fans in Oakland. I, I hate that part of it. I really do. I think it's awful. And we know it's going to kick off a conversation about expansion teams, I think, sooner than people realize, like right away. And you and I think are on the same page. And Nashville is going to get one of the teams. I'm going to be curious about the second team. I think Salt Lake City's in play. And now that the athletics move has been approved uh, from Oakland to Las Vegas, assuming that happens, Carl, I wonder if Major League Baseball is going to work something out with the Giants where suddenly the San Jose market will become available. Because I, I know this, they, they want to put a team in either the mountain time zone or the Pacific time zone. And we talked about all these different cities, but we haven't really talked about San Jose because that territory has been property of the Giants. Well, now that the A's are out, I wonder yeah. if there's a deal to be struck for Major League Baseball with the Giants. What do you think? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, there's no question. You know, we don't talk much about the Giants aspect in this A's move, but my God, do they, do they win in the short term? Uh, they will corral every baseball fan imaginable in that area. It's a huge win, you know, in a terrible situation for the Giants. They benefit. There's no question about it. They benefit. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Salt Lake City is an interesting one for me. I, I keep hearing about, you know, a Cana another Canadian team as a possibility. It feels like the Nashville group is down the road and it is a tremendous market. Um, but you're, you know, you're adding to a, market that has a professional football team that is supported when they win. Uh, I think Nashville will happen. I, I, whether Salt Lake uh, or San Jose, or t I think a team from Canada is a possibility. Uh, I do wonder, don't you, why all these sports teams are taking their games to London, to Mexico, to wherever they go. Is there some long-term investment that they're hoping to benefit from? Is that where this all ends, or are we just doing this as one-offs every year to te to tease those folks, to, to grow brands? I'm not sure what the international part of that is long-term. Yeah, why I think well, I, I mean, one thing is, you're, you're right. I think it is 
you know, they certainly want to market the sport and they want to have interest in the sport. But in the end, the bottleneck is going to be whether or not the player association is going to prove it. Right. right. Will the player association approve a franchise, uh, for example, in London, knowing that the players would have to travel so much? He's already concerned about the travel for the Seattle Mariners. Right. Imagine uh, you know, a London team having to travel to 14 hours to go to Los Angeles. I, I I, I still have my doubts about whether or not the player association will be on board for a franchise anywhere other than in Canada or the United States. You know, we'll have to have to wait right. and see. Last one for you. I want to ask you about uh, the report that came out last week that the Blue Jays are open offers for Alec Manoa after his brutal season. And there's something that doesn't make sense about this. Just to review, after being a Cy Young finalist in 22, he went to spring training. Last year, he was not completely right. He clearly was not in optimal condition. He had a 5.87 ERA and 19 starts, including a stint in the minors uh, earlier in the year. I think it was June. And when he was sent to the minors in August, he declined to report. So if you're the Blue Jays, you try to trade Manoa now, you are absolutely selling low. You're not going to get much in return. The only reason why I could see them moving him, Carl, is that if they just decide his presence is cancerous, that they just got to yeah. get him out of there. I, otherwise, I don't think it makes any sense. No, it's a hard one to understand because of where he was a couple of years ago and how dominant he was. Again, he, he strikes me as somebody who has read tea leaves, has the ability that very few pitchers have, has the body when he works on it to be a guy that can pitch for, for several years. I mean, he is physically imposing. He is strong. I, yeah. would, I, would, I would worry about trading him and seeing what he becomes as opposed to trying to to deal with whatever it is that we're dealing with. And, and again, whether it's off the field issues, whether it's his conditioning, you know, at some point the player wakes up when they are out of shape and says, I got two choices. Either I'm going to, I'm going to get right and I'm going to spend time in the off season changing my body, or I'm just going to continue down this path. And I, I hope when I've seen in many cases where the player chooses path A because they realize I control my future, I control my destiny, and I can make a killing doing this, and I love this, so let's stop throwing it away. Uh, I would be leery if I were the Blue Jays in seeing that guy come back to haunt you. I completely agree. I think what they should do is meet with them and say, hey, let's work this out. Like, we yeah. believe in your talent. Let's, uh, let's work together to get better. All right, Carl, uh, thanks for doing this. Have a great call tonight. Thank you, Buster. Good to see you again. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. 
So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, producer, reporter, statistician, all-world statistician, Sarah Langs. uh, Amazing what she does. Joining us on the Baseball Tonight podcast, as she does all the time. Sarah Langs, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're on the West Coast there. Buster has departed from his Montana base. He's headed out east, so (laughs) you're stuck with me today. Um, Buster on a big Thanksgiving kick, so I'll extend it to this segment too. Do you got a Thanksgiving tradition that you love? Something you're excited for that you're looking forward to on Thursday? I mean, I just love being with my family, watching football, all that. I'm a vegetarian. I think I mentioned that on the podcast. So the meal isn't the big thing, but my mom makes amazing moods. So very, very excited to see what she has in store. What's your what's a typical plate look like for you then? If there's no there's no turkey on there, any any furky? No, no, not really into that. But um, you know, some good stuffing. She makes a great chestnut stuffing. She's made some others as well in the past. Brussels sprouts, potatoes, whatever that, whatever else is going on. I go heavy on what you all would call the sides. Us normies, us us non-vegetarian citizens. All right. Well, that's very exciting. Uh, Let's talk a little baseball. Let's get into the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 30. So 30 is for the first place votes that both Ron Acuna Jr. and Shohei Otani got. This was the first season ever where both MVPs were unanimous, getting all 30 of those first-place votes. Shohei Otani also became the first guy ever to win MVP unanimously twice. Another really fun thing with that duo is that they were both rookie there in the same year in 2018. They're the first duo of players to win Rookie of the Year in the same year, and then win MVP in the same year. So even though they've had very different paths, it still gave them that point A and this point B. Number two. Number two is five. So speaking of that unanimity, if you will, you're Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, and Ronald Pena Jr. We're all unanimous. That is the most unanimous award we have had in any single award season. The previous high was three unanimous winners, which had happened a couple of times, most recently in 2014. The voters were all very much on the same page this year, and the players really, really showed how much they deserve these awards. Number one. Number one is seven. That's for 
how many years Aaron Nola got with his free agent contract he signed on Sunday. The first real big deal we got have gotten a free agency signed a seven year deal to return to the Phillies, and he has a chance to play his entire career there. So he's already played in nine MLB seasons with the Phillies. If he pitches at least one game each year of this deal, so if he plays in each season of this deal, he would be at 16 seasons with the Phillies, which would tie Granny Hamner for the second most season played with the Phillies in franchise history behind only 18 by Mike Schmidt. The most right now for a pitcher for the Phillies is 15 seasons by Steve Carlton. So really, really cool potential history for Aaron Nolan. There were reports that he left money on the table to return there. We don't see that many guys play their entire career in one place these days, so it's really cool to think about the fact that he has a chance to do that. Awesome, Sarah. Thank you much. We won't hold you up. You're you're on vacation. You've you've been kind enough. You didn't give us the Carl Ravitch where he's like, I'm drinking wine in Napa Valley, so I cannot be bothered. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to deliver these statistics to us. Uh, enjoy your time out there and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for having me and happy Thanksgiving. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Monday. First up, P.K. Steinberg. He writes in, does Schumacher's Manager of the Year Award indict the Marlins ownership even more for their decisions, which led to Kim Ang leaving? P.K., no question about it. Like, it's part of the confusion. Like, Skip Schumacher was a great decision by Kim. He is going to be a coveted manager in this industry. As you mentioned, when they fired Kim, essentially, by telling her we're going to demote you by hiring someone over you and that she winds up leaving the organization, you bet you basically set yourself up to lose Skip Schumacher next fall. You know, Craig Council was a very coveted free agent this fall when his contract expired with the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, Schumacher has one year left on his deal. He's going to run through at the end of next year, and they're going to be teams lined up to take him when he becomes a free agent. And so when the Marlins made that decision, then they not only gave up on Kim Ang, they basically uh, opened the door for Skip Schumacher to leave. Do the, do you think that now that you're laying it all out, do you think they considered any of that? <laughs> like, no, it sounds no ridiculous. I, I think they made up their mind. I think their owner, uh, I've said this before. I think he was mad at Derek Jeter, uh, Bruce Sherman. He was mad at Derek for how, but for whatever reason, Derek's tenure is, uh, you know, head of baseball operations and the president of the team. And he began to get rid of a bunch of Derek Jeter guys, uh, folks in the organization. And he made up his mind early in the year that Kim, who was brought in by Derek, was going to be demoted and he wasn't going to keep her. And then guess what? They made the playoffs for the first time in 20 years Uh (laughs) in a full season. And rather than adjust and adapt and say, man, Kim did a great job at the trade deadline. She hired Skip Schumacher. What a great choice there. He cut off his nose despite his face. Makes no sense. Does that make, I mean, yeah. does that all put together for you? <laughs> it tracks. It, it tracks. It's it's amazing. You know, good managers don't grow on trees, but I guess the Marlins, uh, you know, that's what they think right now. 
Um, let's go to here for Bleacher Tweets. Travis writes in, not sure how there's not implications for a GM, new or seasoned, for some of the careless Cashman quotes in interviews over the last couple of days. Never mind Cashman's bad decisions uh, over the last three to five seasons. There's no excuse for his careless acts. Travis really hates uh, a sassy uh, Brian Cashman out in the press. Well, I think if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, if they have another bad year, there are probably going to be some ramifications for that. But real quick, I, you know, I said this to Carl. Like, I, I went back and I read Cashman's quotes, which, by the way, happened in the same session where he was dropping F-bombs. It wasn't like he just suddenly came up with his new quote about Stan last week. It was repurposed. And I'm reading the quote, and all he says is, yeah, he's had a lot of injuries. That's kind of part of what he's he is. And, and I was like, isn't that what every reporter and every person on television has talked about with Stan for the last five years? I don't really see what was offensive about what he said. It's just it's just the reality of the world that we live in. I mean, there's nothing. That's the, just the truth. If anyone's offended by that, I mean, I don't I don't know what to say. Mr. Yeah. And you know. just to, to get back to the basic point, if the Yankees have a bad year, they're going to be changes. I have no doubt about that because they how Steinbrenner's taking a lot of criticism for not doing more this offseason. So if they have another bad year. There will be firings. Mr. Jakey writes in, Hi, Buster. Now that the A's move and the owner's votes have turned me off to baseball, I have a huge hole in my life that needs filling. Can you please take a moment to elaborate on the thrills and excitement of cow farming? I'm going to have to replace baseball with something else uh, that for the last three to four decades of my life, and I'm taking suggestions. Yeah, Mr. Jakey, uh, yes, start a farm. Uh, you're not going <laughs> to make any money. You're probably going to lose money. And if you get cows, get Jersey cows for milk higher butterfat content, and get Angus for beef. That's my recommendations. I love that. Last one for today, Amy Chapman. She writes in, I know that you're a history buff and was interested when you talked about the African-American Museum in D.C. I haven't had the chance to go. What other history museums do you recommend, especially ones that are less well-known? Yeah, the African-American Museum is amazing. amazing. You know, I've tried for years and years to get in, finally got to go there. I'd say the World War II Museum in New Orleans is incredibly mm. underrated. It is tremendous. And I loved, I, I, you know, I was surprised I'm a big, you know, that Lincoln uh, buff because my stepdad's last name is Lincoln. He's a distant relative of Abraham Lincoln. So I went to the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois. That was great. I, I just absolutely love that. There you go. Great way to close the podcast. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Over the next couple of days, enjoy your Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll be back next week with another pod. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I think, uh, Taylor, next week we'll do Tuesday. Does mm -hmm. that uh, make sense for you? Does that fit for you? Yeah, let's do it. Put it on the books. Okay. Well, that's it for today. My thanks to Carl, Sarah, Hembo, Sarah, Taylor, Adrian, uh, Parker. Great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.